Is it okay to be wealthy? If I were a rich man, I have a Some people say riches are a curse. May the Lord smite me with it. And may I never recover. But what does the Bible say about financial wealth? Welcome to Evidence and Answers with author, speaker, and Christian apologist, Dr. Pat Zucharin. Today, Dr. Zucharin welcomes his special guest, Kirby Anderson of Probe Ministries, for a look at consumerism and materialism. This is a very important two-part series on a biblically balanced look at finances and how individuals, families, and entire countries can suffer under relentless consumerism and materialism. And it's crucial resources like these that we offer at evidenceandanswers.org. Pat's articles, his books, interviews with leading scholars, and past programs available for download on everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, all at evidenceandanswers.org. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Now, here's Pat with part one of Consumerism and Materialism. Thanks, Kevin. Our guest once again is one of our favorite guests, Kirby Anderson, the National Director of Pro Ministries and my boss. And Kirby's come out with a new book called Making the Most of Your Money in Tough Times. It gives practical advice on biblical financial management. But also, Kirby, you know, there is a chapter in here that I think is very important and it's one that few will address from the pulpit because a lot of pastors are afraid to address this issue. But you take it on, and it's materialism and consumerism. Now, is materialism and consumerism destroying our culture? Is it having a destructive impact on the church? And what are the dangers of materialism and consumerism? So here to address those issues is Kirby. Kirby, welcome to the show. Always good to be with you, Pat. Well, Kirby, let's define our terms. What do we mean by materialism and consumerism? Well, I would think that for most of our listeners, materialism is probably a familiar term. And the reason for that is very simple. Uh, we can see in Matthew 6, 24 and 25, that Jesus tells us that we cannot serve both God and mammon. So today, when we're talking about materialism, we're talking about the idea of mammon. It isn't so much how much you own, it's what owns you. So in a sense, materialism is pretty familiar to most of our listeners. But I wanted to introduce this other term of consumerism. And as you see in my book, I have a whole chapter on it because I've come to realize that we have kind of a consumer mentality. This is true more in America than in other places, but it's probably true in many places where we tend to view religion as consumers. Uh, one uh, secular book a number of years ago called it affluenza, which I thought was kind of a cute way of saying that. But what they are talking about here is this idea that we always have to do better. We always have to measure our success in terms of our national progress economic expansion is part of that, and we almost sort of have a consumer mentality. We can see that, again, very easily when we see that some people choose the church not based upon whether they're teaching the Bible, but on maybe its location, or maybe they like the nursery facility, or they like the style of the music. None of that is wrong, but the point I'm making here is we begin to make religion a consumable item, and as a result, it's really affected our lifestyle, certainly in the United States, but we've seen it in other countries around the world. Yes, you know, and now that this show is international, uh, I'm sure our listeners in other countries uh, are dealing with these issues as well, not only in their culture, but in their church as well. 
And I would have to say that sometimes they can see us better than we can see our own situation because as we travel around, we recognize that really, and I know you travel on every continent of the world, what we want to spread is biblical Christianity, not American consumer Christianity. And sometimes it's important for all of us to really come back and take a strong and hard look at actually the way in which we relate our own particular biases to the Bible and instead use the Bible to begin to evaluate what we say and do. Yeah, you know, that's a great point that you make. Now, the Bible says a lot about money. So let's begin by saying, what is the biblical view of wealth? Well, I think we first have to start with a misconception that some people have. I've heard people say, well, money is the root of all evil. Well, that is a really misunderstanding of what is said in 1 Timothy 6.10, because it really says the love of money is the root of all evil. So I would have to say that when we come to the issue of wealth, we see that, especially in the Old Testament, oftentimes wealth was an evidence of God's blessing. So on the one hand, those people that would say that there is never a time in which you can be a wealthy Christian would have to be saying, well, Abraham and certainly the riches of Solomon were unbiblical. The point is, is wealth in and of itself is not condemned, but oftentimes the means by which it is obtained is condemned. In other words, if people obtain wealth through fraud or oppression or by using unjust weights and light scales, I talk about many of the Old Testament verses that do that, we have to understand that that is a very definite place where the scriptures speak out, especially the Old Testament prophets spoke out. Also, I think we have to understand, especially as we come into the New Testament, that the Bible is very clear that oftentimes wealth can have a negative impact on our lives. As I've said before, you know, as you and I have traveled overseas, we see people who are praying for their daily bread. But when we are in the developed countries, we see people that just thank God for the bread that they already have. And there is an attitude there where if it was something that Jesus was warning about, that wealth could have a negative impact on your life, and he was warning about that in the first century. How much true is that in the 21st century when, by those standards, every person we probably run into is incredibly wealthy? So we have to understand that there is a good balanced perspective on wealth. On the one hand, we recognize that God will certainly provide blessings and wealth, but at the same time, we have to ask ourselves, how did we obtain that wealth? And more importantly, how did we as believers relate to that wealth in effective ways so that we would honor God with our lifestyle? Right, Kirby. You know, God will bless some people with the ability to make money. And where would a lot of our ministries be? Where would pro ministries be if it weren't for people whom God has blessed with material wealth but who also use that wealth to support their families, but also promote God's work here upon this earth. Mm -hmm. So you make a great point that it's not uh, money, but it's the love of money. If it consumes you and it occupies your time and, you know, it becomes your priority over the family and the Lord. That's what you're saying here, isn't it? Certainly. And I think that's an important point that, uh, as I've said before, and I'll say it again because it's important to understand, it isn't so much what you own, it's what owns you. And that is, we have, over the years, had the privilege of meeting some very wealthy, godly men and women who have used that for the advancement of the gospel, supported missionaries and all of the rest. And I've also met very wealthy people that have wanted to squander it on themselves and awful living. But likewise, 
realize I've met poor people that have a covetousness desire for wealth and others that are simply satisfied with what God puts in their hands. So in most cases, when we talk about this issue of wealth, it's not so much what you own, but what owns you. What is your attitude towards wealth? And if you have a biblical view towards wealth, I believe God honors that. Well, I can see that we're going to step on some toes here, Kirby, but that's what we're all about. You know, to present <laughs> the truth no matter uh, if it hurts sometimes. Well, what should the Christian's lifestyle be then? Should we be poor? Should we be afraid to be rich? Should we look down upon those who are rich? Should we, you know, hide and uh, not talk about money? What should the Christian lifestyle be? Well, and it's sort of difficult to think that through if you really take seriously the biblical admonitions. Let's just use an example that we've used around Pro Ministries for years, and that is you have three individuals who all lived at about the same period of time. Daniel, who served in a sense almost like a secretary of state in a pagan administration, had no doubt what most people would call an affluent lifestyle. He had the wealth and privilege that came from serving in that particular government. You have Ezekiel, who was also an Old Testament prophet who lived outside the city, and he lived okay. Um, He might today be what uh, we would call a middle-class lifestyle. I don't think they would use that phrase there, but he, he was able to meet most of his needs. And then you have Jeremiah, who lived a life mostly of poverty, a lower class lifestyle. And after I've explained that oftentimes to an audience, I say, okay, who was biblical in terms of their lifestyle? And everybody kind of looks around like, well, all of them were. Well, that's the point. I mean, you have one person that was very affluent who was obviously honoring the Lord. Another person maybe is more like a middle-class lifestyle was honoring the Lord. And a person who lived pretty much in poverty most of his life, and he was honoring the Lord. So the issue, again, is not how much money they have, but whether or not they use that lifestyle to honor the Lord. Now, once that's said, I think we still should start with the assumption that we acknowledge that God is the creator of all that we own and use. Ultimately, we are stewards of what God gives us. Psalm 24, 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. I think we also want to, as we have whatever lifestyle we have, whatever God has put in our hands, to seek first his kingdom and righteousness, Matthew 6, 33. And I think also there is a value in living a simple lifestyle. I am struck by even the wealthy Christians, and I know that have been honoring the Lord with their wealth, uh, they do not uh, go with the trends in the fashions of the world, but instead ask uh, very strategic questions about, given the wealth that I have in my hands, what can I do to honor the Lord? What can I do to advance his kingdom? And I think in many cases that would require that we live a more simple lifestyle. But the point I'm making is, is that we live in a world right now where I think so many individuals say, well, if you make more than that amount or you make less than that amount, you find yourself being condemned by fellow Christians. In the Old Testament, I see three very godly individuals at three very different stations in life in terms of three very different kinds of lifestyles, all three of them honored the Lord and used what God placed in their hands, their financial wealth, their political influence to ultimately make a difference in the world around them. Right. You know, in 1 Timothy 6, 6 says, you know, but godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food, clothing, we'll be content with that. And Paul is saying, We should be content in the situation that God places us in, whether it's, you know, middle class or wealthy or, 
you know, in in the working class, that there's a strength and there's a great gain to be gained in contentment where you're at. Another place where that word is used is a slightly variation where Paul says, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance I find myself. And Pat, I think that tells us something too. I've learned to be content. In other words, contentment isn't a natural phenomenon. I noticed with my kids that they grew up and very quickly in the kind of affluent society, um, you can always have a major fight at the checkout counter because they see all these things they want to get. And I think there is a sense in which all of us need to learn to be content, just as Paul talked about there in another verse that relates to the same concept. Well, Kirby, redefine for us materialism and what are the dangers of materialism? Well, materialism, again, is really emphasizing the material wealth, the material goods in the world. And the Bible gives you all sorts of warnings. A couple I'll just mention quickly. First of all, I noticed that materialism feeds our greed. Materialism and covetousness come together and recognize that's the 10th commandment. So we can see that there is always this desire for more. Uh, so many stories have been told over the years of of, uh, rich men who said, well, do you have enough wealth? No, just a little bit more. I need a little bit more. And even Jesus tells the parable in Luke 12 of a rich man who decides to tear down his existing barns to build bigger barns. And so one of the things we recognize is wealth does not satisfy. Materialism does not satisfy. If anything, it feeds our greed. It feeds our covetousness. And we always want more and more. Another thing that uh, we mentioned just a minute ago with uh, when we were talking about Jesus is the idea that materialism creates divided loyalties. You cannot serve both God and mammon. But Paul talks about that as well in 2 Timothy 2, where he says, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who lists him as a soldier. And so what you find oftentimes is if people begin to really emphasize materialism in their life, they are no longer available for God's work. It causes a divided loyalty. And as Jesus says, you really can only serve one, either God or mammon. Another is I think materialism really can dull our direction in our life. And I see this more and more with the young generation that they've grown up really expecting an affluent lifestyle, then they may even be overextended. So when they graduate from college, they may say, well, I want to go to the mission field, but you know, I really need to pay off all my debts. They get kind of used to a certain kind of lifestyle, and they're really never really available again for going into the ministry or going into the mission field because they find themselves, in a sense, addicted to the lifestyle. And it brings us back to that very key passage I mentioned a minute ago in Philippians, where Paul says, I've learned to be content, or the passage you used in 1 Timothy there about godliness with contentment. Contentment is something that we see almost as an antidote to materialism, and individuals that are really materialistic really oftentimes are not available to the Lord's service. And one last one is I found that materialism can oftentimes lead to pride and arrogance. Uh, Proverbs 28 says that a rich man is wise in his own eyes. And we have all sorts of passages that talk about the fact that as an individual becomes wealthy, they tend to forget about God. Proverbs talks about that. They sort of forget that God provided for them, and they tend to believe that they pulled themselves up by their own bootstraps and were successful. So there are lots of real dangers that I can see uh, when we talk about this idea of materialism and the impact, the negative impact it can have on our Christian life. Right, on individuals and as a nation. You know, Kirby, I think we're going to step on a few toes here, but I remember coming back from Uganda where 
orphanages and, and people there were saying, Pat, can you find some people that can support some of our children for $20 a month so that they can have medications that we desperately need here for just $20 a month? Well, most of us in the U.S. can do that. However, you know, I walked into a church and there's a lady and she came up and she said, man, I, I praise God because he answered my prayer. And I said, oh, what prayer did he answer? She said, well, I was looking for a brand new car, you know, a sports car. $50,000, and I needed the one with leather seats, a moonroof, and a spoiler, and it wasn't there. And so I prayed, and I went to the next dealership, and God answered my prayer. There's the one with the spoiler and the hmm. full-on leather seats and the stereo and, and, and the sunroof or the moonroof. You know, and I'm sitting there having just come from Uganda with kids that need 20 bucks a month for medication, and here's a woman saying, my prayers have been answered. I, <laughs> I got the spoiler and the car, and, and I see it really distorts our spiritual life and on what we need and what we want and our spiritual growth. That's what I see. One of the things I might even add, since you were talking about that, for those listeners out there that are parents, it's very difficult to really teach some of that to your kids because they've really never experienced that. I always think that it would be great to take your children on a mission trip, and most of my children have gone there. But even before they were old enough to even think about that, one of the things my wife and I did, we sponsored children through World Vision, and now we even sponsor a child through Compassion International. And then for them to see the picture of these children, to see the money we send over there to encourage them to write a card or maybe think about something they could send to that child, really is a good way to break the hold of materialism and even consumerism on the hearts of some of our children. That's an excellent point. You know, as Christians, we're all called to sacrifice. And, you know, sometimes I will challenge Christians saying, you're looking at a $70,000 car. Well, you could get a quality car for half that price and the money that you save you could sponsor a student from Africa to come here and study and get trained as a seminary to go back to his country or support 10 orphanages uh, in the Philippines or something like that so uh, it's a challenge that we all need to take and you bring up a very good point that if you actually go there and see how other Christian brothers and sisters in the world are struggling and the ministries there that need support and the call for us whom God has blessed to make those kind of sacrifices, I believe that's what God has called us to. Very good. Well, Kirby, some will say, well, isn't greed what drives our economy, what drives capitalism, that gives us that drive to invent and go into business and expand our business? Isn't, isn't it actually a good thing? Well, I think that's one of the issues that I've tried to address over the years when I talk about the free enterprise system, because the argument from the Marxists and even from a lot of social critics is, well, capitalism makes people greedy. I think if you start with a biblical point of view and say that, number one, we're created in the image of God, but number two, we also have to understand that we are sinful and selfish, that greed is something that already is there. So the point is, is capitalism doesn't make people greedy. Actually, people are greedy, and sometimes they use capitalism. But the point I want to make is, is the free market system that we have. Adam Smith talked about the fact that as each person seeks their own self-interest, they're led by an invisible hand to bring about an end they did not intend. And so the point is, is that the free enterprise system or capitalism, as Adam Smith points out in The Wealth of Nations, is really based on the idea of self-interest. And that makes sense to me. Everybody has self-interest. I mean, if you think about it, it's in my self-interest to get a job and to support my family. It's in our self-interest to accept the gospel. 
if you think about that. So we recognize that the free enterprise system does work on self-interest. Now, it can, at the same time, understand that some people aren't just pursuing self-interest, they're pursuing selfishness or greed. But the good news is, is because you have a society in which you don't have a controlled economy, where you have a lot of freedom, it's a system in which bad people can do least harm and good people have the freedom to do good works. In other words, yes, capitalism can still function when you have greedy people, but you're protected because if you don't like that particular car dealership, as we mentioned just a minute ago, you can go down the street to a different car dealership. If this person is greedy and charges too much for this particular item, you can go somewhere else and find it for less of a price. So it's a system that protects you from bad people or from people that are greedy, ambitious, selfish. But it's also a system because you have a decentralized economy in which most people who are trying to simply do good things have the freedom to do good works. So the argument I oftentimes make is, is that it isn't the capitalist system or the free enterprise system that makes people greedy, but rather greed exists. Now, if you want to compare that to socialism, where you have a centralized economy, then those greedy and selfish and ambitious people have too much control over your life. So it is not a perfect system in the free enterprise system, but it's certainly better than one where you allow power, especially economic power, to be concentrated in the hands of just a few individuals. That's a good point you make. Well, Redefine for us what is consumerism and what are the dangers of consumerism. I think one of the biggest dangers that we can see nationally is consumerism and this consumer mentality causes us to invert all of our priorities as a nation. For example, if you uh, look at the fact that right now in the United States, for example, and I'll pick on the United States for a moment, we spend more on shoes, jewelry, and watches than we do on higher education. We spend more on auto maintenance than on religious and welfare activities. We spend three times as much on presents for our pets at Christmas than we do presents for our neighbors. Wow. And so as a result, you can see we have created a problem in our nation. For example, debt. The United States has gone from being the largest creditor nation in the world to the largest debtor nation in the world. Debt and waste are just off the charts. We have more people that have declared personal bankruptcy than have graduated from college. Our annual production of solid waste would be able to fill a convoy of garbage trucks reaching halfway from here to the moon. So we have a society today that is so consumer driven. And so I think it is even more difficult for a Christian living in this consumer mentality to really function effectively. And so we see that in terms of how it affects not only us as a nation, but how it affects us as individuals. And so I think what is really important today is that as Christians, we stand out in the midst of that and say, you know, we reject the latest fad and fashion. We reject the consumer mentality. We choose things on the basis of what is right and pure and good, not on the basis of what Madison Avenue or advertising tells us that we really do need. Well, Kirby, what would you say are the key influences driving this passion for materialism and consumerism? I think it's, it's the media and we're bombarded constantly by, you gotta have this, you gotta have that. Or here's the lifestyle that is, quote, successful. I I think a lot goes Mm -hmm. in there, but what do you think are the driving forces here in our country that drive this materialism and consumerism passion that we have. And I think you're right. I think advertising and the media does that. But I would add to that that the echo chamber that allows that to reverberate 
are the peer pressure around us. Most of us at one time or another have heard some commercial, even when we were kids, be the first kid on your block to get, you know, whatever it might be. You know, you want to be successful. Here is the image of success. And really, the media has done a great job of saying, you don't want to be left behind. You want to be the first kid on your block to have the latest technology. You want to be the first person to be able to use this technology. And there's nothing wrong with technology. But the point I'm making is this drive to always have what is new and better and best is part of that consumer mentality. And the media certainly plays to that. But the echo chamber are the peers around us that play into that. They buy into that. And so very quickly, you say, you know, gosh, you know, it's not just the non-Christians are going out there and buying the newest car, the newest technology, or or maybe spending more than they're making and, and, and really running up debt. It's the people inside my church that are doing this as well. Another theme that runs through that is not only success, but your inadequacies. You know, if you don't have the right kind of skincare product, the right kind of deodorant, a certain whatever, people are not going to like you. So we begin to assume that our personal success as well as the attractiveness to other people is tied up in these kinds of products. So there's a lot that plays into it, but I think the primary driving force, as you say, is through the media, but then it's echoed back through our culture. And this brings us back to another key verse, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 talks about the fact that we should not be what? Conform to this world, but we should renew our minds through Christ Jesus. So what we have to ask ourselves is, are we being conformed to this world through consumerism, through advertising and various kinds of things? And if we are, I think that's one place where we step back and reevaluate our priorities. Thank you so much for joining us on Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman. It's our hope to keep a quality program on the air and on the web that presents an intelligent response to the issues of our day and demonstrates the truth of the claims of Christ. If you agree, please support us with your prayers and gifts. One of the ways you can do that is by purchasing our resources available at evidenceandanswers.org. You'll educate yourself and your family, and you'll help us keep expanding. You can download past shows on everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, read Pat's articles, and purchase Pat's new book with Dr. Norman Geisler, The Apologetics of Jesus, evidenceandanswers.org. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Go there today. I'm Kevin Harris. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman.